be with us this morning. Let us sit at your feet. Just give us time with you, Lord, we pray. So I'm just going to jiggle this for a second. Got a little bit of fuzziness in it. That was some gospel reading, huh? I think we got to pay more attention to what happens in that version sometimes. I'm not sure about some of those words. Anyway, um, so this summer, this summer in Fenway Park, in Fenway Park at Red Sox Games, it's possible that this summer the best thing that has happened has happened during the seventh inning stretch, right? I mean, they're not, they're not really killing it this summer, but if you go to a Red Sox game and you're there in Fenway Park, then in the seventh inning stretch, what happens? We stretch and we stretch our vocal cords doing what? Thank you. Singing Sweet Caroline. And how does the chorus go? So good, or the thing. Everybody's so good, so good, so good. It's a great moment, right? Am I alone in feeling a sense of something like transcendence in that moment? Do you? Do you feel a sense of transcendence in that moment? Anybody? I do. I feel, take me to Tanglewood. Take me to a good concert. Take me to any big event with a lot of people together enjoying something wonderful. And there's a sense of transcendence. There's a sense that's not dissimilar from some of the senses we get in, say, a big cathedral or singing worship songs together. So the question is then, is that God? Is that the Spirit of God? If I'm at the Red Sox game, and it's a lovely evening, and it's not too hot, and it's not too humid, and I'm with Cheryl, and we're relaxed, and things are just going really nicely, and it's just a beautiful time together, and we come to the seventh inning, the stretch, and everybody sings, sweet Caroline, and then, you know, so good, so good, so good, because it feels that way. It feels so good. Is that the Spirit of God? Or is it not the Spirit of God? Because even though it is a liturgy, it is a liturgy, baseball, the way any sport, any big event with people gathered together, the way they do stuff, it's a liturgy. But it's not a religious liturgy. So does it count as the Spirit of God? So welcome to our second week, third week really, of working our way through our core language. We've been working on our core language. Now, that's just a way of saying language that tries to give expression to who we are as a people, yes, on Sunday morning, but also just gathered together in the name of Jesus or living out our lives here and there and everywhere in the name of Jesus, encouraged by each other. So last week, we talked about how our core little bumper sticker size core language connecting to God community, and creation, we talked about how we had taken the way that core language for church is often done, where you lead with what makes you distinctive, which is to say you meet people where you're different from them. You don't, you don't sit down and try to do that. But that's what happens. We flipped it, and instead we're trying to meet people on common space, find the most common space we can to meet them. So we've got very simple, common human language. 
connecting to God, to community, and to creation. And we talked last week about how we're doing that for the, for the simple reason that we follow the God who became incarnate. In other words, the God who went to great expense and cost to himself to find common space. So simply doing similar math, we're trying to do that as well. Now, unfortunately, this is, this is sort of not a given. This is often, this might be an, an unusual thing to find. One of you was telling me this past week that a friend of hers in a different city in this fair commonwealth was with us online, and that as we talked about that, her friend actually began to weep at the idea that we would flip the whole thing and go out to meet people in the space we have in common, rather than leading with where we disagree with you. So, friend, if you're here, if you're here with us this morning online as well, just two quick things I want you to know. One is your friend didn't overshare. I don't know your name. I don't know anything else about you. And the second one is, I'm so glad the Lord spoke to you in that moment, and you are welcome here. Bless you. So, friends, today we're going to pick up then the first of, connecting to. We're going to talk about connecting to God. And since we're trying to get on common space with people, and since we're trying to get into the most common ground we can, well, a lot of people go to Red Sox games. A lot of people go to Tanglewood. A lot of people go to whatever it is. And they have some sense of something that might be called transcendence. But is it God? Is it the Spirit of God? Or is it just something that happens when you have a lot of folks together? I think that the Paul who spoke in Athens, I think he would say, yes, it is the Spirit of God. But he would say that with some qualifiers. So, you may have thought when Brian was up here reading the New Testament lesson that he had made a mistake and we were, you know, he's like, hey, we read that last week. We're in it again. We're, we're with Paul in Acts in chapter 17, in Athens, again, we're going to take a little bit of the middle this time and sit with it a little bit. And so Paul, you may recall, Paul goes to Athens, and he goes and he walks about, and he walks around town, and he sees all their idols, and then he goes to their thinking spot, the place where everybody gets together and talks about stuff, and he begins to talk about Jesus. But he does it in a way, we talked about this last week, he does it in a way where he puts the emphasis on common space, common ground, connecting with them. And he says to them, the God who made the world and everything in it, who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as if he needed anything, because he himself gives life and breath to everything and, and everything to everyone. So Paul leads by saying God is incredibly generous. He's incredibly generous. Life itself is gift. And it's gift for us. It's gift for everyone. And God has been delighted to give people the gift of life. And then he goes on and he gets a little more specific. From one man 
God made every nation of the human race to inhabit the entire earth, determining their set times and the fixed limits of the places where they would live. And then here it is, so that they would search for God and perhaps grope around for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. He's not far from each one of us. And God has moved in their lives, given them life, acted in certain ways in their life in the hope that they would feel a nudge, know a transcendent sense, and reach out and look for him because he loves them. And he wants that love to be requited. I love this word that gets translated in some versions as grope, in other versions as feel, that God's hoping that we're going to, you know, feel about in the, in, the, in the dark or in the gray or in the fuzzy light and try to find him. He hopes that we're going to notice and care and, and, and work to find him. And I thought, I thought that I would be able to tell you that this is such a, an interesting, great kind of crossing the boundaries word, that this would be the only place where it shows up in the New Testament. But I was wrong about that. It shows up four times. And I think it's, I think it's beautiful and it kind of a bit funny, too, the way those four fall out. So see, see if you can think this is funny as well. So one of them is obviously here. Here's Paul saying, you know, God isn't like right here that you can get a hold of him, but he loves you and he hopes you'll grope about and try to find him, right? So that's one use. God's not, you know, easily grabbable, but he hopes you'll reach for him. The second one actually takes that idea and goes way further with it. That's in Hebrews. For you have not come to what may be touched. Translation they use is touched. Because of the glory involved, he says, it's a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest. So you can't feel it. You can't get a hold of it because it would burn you because it's glory, right? So that's two of them. Two of them are saying there's an inaccessibility to God because he's other. He is transcendent par excellence. But the other two say exactly the other thing, which is, God, therefore, loves you so much that he has gone out of his way to make himself eminent, close, accessible. Actually, even one of them will say, grabbable. That's in 1 John. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands. Jesus. God being other and being different, and being out there loves us so much that he's hoping we'll have a yearning and an awareness and a desire to connect with him. But he also has moved in history and shown up in a person so that he is actually grabbable, huggable, if you will, touchable. And this is Jesus himself with Thomas, doubting Thomas, as we call him sometimes, with Thomas helping him to believe because of being able to touch. See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones that you see that I have. So I love this. I love it because this little word four times speaks gospel. 
it is gospel. Jesus, fully human, fully divine, walking among us. God, who is great and other, becoming one with us, one of us, in order to be accessible, to find common ground, to pull us into himself. So, friends, let's imagine for a moment. Let's imagine that God looks down upon Boston. And he says, I just don't know about the churches in Boston. I'm just not sure about this. I tell you what, Paul, I'm going to send you back on a mission, all right? And let's suppose that, that God zaps Paul down to Boston. And Paul does a walkabout. And he's walking around Boston, and he's observing things. And he's looking to see what is life like. And he sees all these people getting together around this, this gathering place. And Paul thinks, ooh, gathering place. I can tell him the gospel. So he goes into Fenway, and he goes to a Red Sox game, and he starts to just observe. And they come to the seventh inning stretch, and they all sing. Paul feels that sense of transcendence, and he says, wow, even here, Even here, God's love is so great that in the sense of an invitation, he is present. He's not contained here. Certainly not everything that's going on here is of God. But nonetheless, in spite of all of that, in a general way, he's giving people just that little nudge of transcendence in the hope that they will say, there, this is so good. There must, be, there must be a meaning in life that they will say, this is so good. I, I want to love others because we're all here in this together. A very general, vague thing. Now, certainly not everything. Paul's going to have some, some distinctions and some qualifications he wants to make for sure. There are a lot of things that happen in a stadium or wherever when people are gathered. There's Lust, there's arrogance, there's pride, there's greed. Paul then, let's suppose he sits beside you. And let's suppose that you get to chatting. And let's suppose that after the game, you take Paul out for a beer. And you're sitting and you're chatting with Paul. And Paul then says, hey, you know, I noticed tonight that you and your fellow Bostonians, you love to live. You want a life that is so good. And Paul would then say something like this. You know, it has been fully achieved once. There has been one man who walked on the earth, who fully lived, who was fully human, fully himself, whole and complete, who was goodness personified. And to be filled with the spirit of that man is life in goodness. This is, in essence, what Paul did in Athens. He begins to give them story. Therefore, although God has overlooked such times of ignorance in the past, he now commands all people everywhere to get a new story, to repent, because he set a day on which he's going to judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has designated, having provided proof to everyone by raising him from the dead. God entered the story in the person of Jesus, 
and in his great love walked all the way to death in order to reset the human being, to open the horizon to wholeness and to life forever. Jesus will be called the second Adam, the human being per se, who represents and pulls into himself all of us. And because he then dies voluntarily in love, the human gets reset. And that then opens the door to life that is truly and forever so good. What God wants, friends, this God who loves us so much that he would act particularly and specifically in the touchable Jesus, and also in many places, in many times, in ways beyond which we will ever be aware, he has nudged us and invited us and coaxed us and romanced us in hopes that we would notice. The God who loves us that much simply wants your love. What God wants more than anything else is that you would love him. That you would love him with your whole self. And let it go where it goes. And let it lead to what it leads to. And let it fall out however it falls out. But he loves you. And he longs that you will love him back. One of my classes at this uh, program I'm in this fall is taught by a, um, a, a doctor of theology who's also um, a, an Orthodox priest. So this past week, we were reading um, someone I had never heard of, and that's it's a, um, a Russian Orthodox theologian from the early 20th century named Sergei Bulgakov. Have you heard of Bulgakov? You're the only person here who might have. I never had. And Bulgakov grew up in a small town, small city in Russia, and his father and his father's father and his father and all of them had been priests. And he was a wonder kid. He was super brilliant. So at age 14, he started seminary. But 14 is not really a great age to start seminary, even if you are a brilliant kid, because you're going to pass through a zone where you're naturally going to ask a lot of questions. And the people at the seminary didn't really, they weren't really set up for that. They didn't have time for that. So they were like, just get over it and do this. That wasn't, it wasn't going to work for him. So he pitched the whole thing. He did what what people did then when they pitched the whole thing, and he went to Germany. And he began to study philosophy, and he became a Marxist. But then as he began to think through Marxist stuff, and he began to think about his beloved Russia and how many people are close to the earth, he just began to be uneasy. He started to think, I don't know, this, this is all, this thing about pure materialism is all wrong. So he says, though, I'm going to back up. So he goes on, he basically backs up and he studies uh, the Russian, or excuse me, the German philosophers, the Romantic philosophers who led to Marx in the long run. He's on a long, deep, profound search to try to find the heart behind the transcendent tug. And God, through three experiences that Bulgakov has, 
various kinds, one of them very happy, one of them very religious, and one of them very sad, God invites Bulgakov and nudges him until he eventually comes back to faith. One of them was he was traveling in Armenia, and they were in the Caucasus Mountains, which are gorgeous, and the sun is setting, and Bulgakov is, is pierced to the, to the quick, and he says, so much beauty, so much beauty, it has to be meaningful. The second one is he's looking at a painting of the dead body of Jesus, a very realistic painting, not idealized. He hasn't beautied it up. And he's looking upon what you could say would be the blandest expression possible of the, the incarnation of Jesus. And yet in it, he says, there's a majesty to this one. And something touches him deeply in his heart. And then a few years later, he has an experience where he and his wife lose a six-year-old child. And God turns and calls that, but in the midst of his grief, somehow God invites him. And he says, there must be life that goes on. And he comes back to faith. Bogakov becomes, as a believer, he becomes an economist and a philosopher. He goes back home to Russia. He starts a new political party. He says, eh, even that's not enough. And he's, he's, a, he's a very well-known public voice in Russia in the days up to the revolution. Think of somebody who's got an op-ed in the New York Times that everybody reads. You know, major public figure. Everybody knows he's a believer now, but they know him as this major sort of public figure who speaks about public matters. And then... Lo and behold, he goes and gets himself ordained priest, and everybody says, why on earth have you done that? And Bulgakov becomes a theologian who sets the course for the good things that try to abide in the tough years that come in that place and in that time. But the point is that God reached out to him and touched him and invited him through experiences of transcendence and through contemplation of the specific body of Jesus. Bogakov goes on a long search. And in the end, he comes to know that connecting with God is the thing of life. It is the deepest the thing to which we are called, the thing for which we are met, that the love of God is the source and the goal of all that is. And when we love God back, things began to get sorted. It might happen slowly. Some of them are difficult. It might work in ways that are painful or extremely happy or different for different situations, but we have come home. Connecting to God is our home. Let's pray, friends. Maybe just ask God to give you sensors to feel when he is reaching out to you.
When is he nudging you? When is he inviting you? When is it him after all? And maybe you could see it and maybe you couldn't, but it's him. invite you to open up the core of your heart. For, for years, I've, I've never said to God, for so many years, I never said to God, I love you. I always felt like I have to qualify it with, I love you, but help me too. I love you, but I know I'm holding something back. I just want to invite you to just say to God, I love you. Don't qualify it. Don't worry about it. Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you have given us life. We thank you for Jesus and for your spirit. Come, Lord.